Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here in, is this industry? Industry, Pennsylvania. Bring greetings from Lancaster. You said it right. Lancaster. Amish country. And how many of you have been there? Well, most of you. If you haven't, come and see us. Um, we're, uh, we're just happy to be here. I've known Pastor Bill and Christopher for a long time. And... Um, I've seen what the Lord has done here, and we, we are glad to, it's a blessing to see how, how God uses the church, and you just mentioned some things this morning that you're doing out in the community, which is a wonderful thing. That's why we exist as a church, to be a blessing to our community and the people around us. Amen? Amen. So, a um, little bit about us. I was born in an Amish family. Uh, in Lancaster County. I'm the oldest of 12 kids, seven boys and five girls. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of Lloyd Smucker. He's a U.S. representative down in Washington, D.C. Not a state rep, he's a U.S. rep. He's number 10 in the family. So we have um, six of us went to Bible school and um, so God has blessed our family. Uh, when I was 18, I left the Amish because I wanted a car. <laughs> I wanted a car. I wanted a radio. I wanted electricity. <laughs> you know, sometimes people say, well, it was really tough. We had four days without electricity because of a storm. I said, that's nothing. I was without electricity for 21 years. But it does make a difference when, you, when you're used to it, I'm sure. Um, but my parents, you know, many Amish families would have said to their young teenage or to their 18-year-old, you can't live here anymore. You got to go find another place to live. But my parents were always a little bit more um, liberal-minded. I don't mean politically speaking. I mean from Amish. You know, for example... The Amish people, your hat should have a four and a half inch brim. My dad had a three and a half. He had many visits from the bishop. You're not supposed to trim your beard, but he'd trim his beard. You know, you're not supposed to have those little ornaments on the harness, on the bridle of your horse, those little horse things and, and the chrome spots. You're not supposed to have that. But my dad had his harness all decorated. So every time before communion, the bishop would come in our lane and he would say, now, Dan, that's my dad's name. Now, Dan, 
you know, communion's coming up and, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to re ha ha receive communion with uh, your, this hat and, and, and with, you know, that stuff on the harness and you can't trim your beard. I, I stood there. I heard the conversation and my dad said, okay, okay, no problem. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't trim his beard for a couple weeks and he'd take all that stuff off the harness. And he had a communion hat on a shelf in the house, so he put that on. But Monday after communion, everything went back. <laughs> that was my dad. I loved him. He's been gone for 32 years. Yeah. And um, as a young boy, I felt called to preach, uh, even as 11 years old. And, you know, the Amish people only have church every other week. And so the week in between, my dad would have us have Sunday school. And um, he'd make us memorize scripture. <laughs> he gave us a Bible that had German on one side and English on the other. And we had to memorize scripture in German and English. Pastor Bill, do you know how many verses of scripture there are in Matthew 5? No. Come on, you're a pastor. <laughs> 48. We had, to, we had to memorize them in German and in English, all 48 verses. I hated it. I'm glad I did now, but I hated it back then. And, but I felt as a young boy. So, and then we'd play church. And I'd always be the preacher because I'm the oldest. And my siblings that were born at that time were my congregation. And, uh, one, and my grandfather would, lived on the other end of the house. And he came over one day and, and, and sat in the congregation. And I was preaching about Daniel. And after I was finished preaching, he comes up to me and he says, Fly some dog much doing bread, ha. That was in tongues. Like some dog was doing bread. Yeah, that's Pennsylvania Dutch. Maybe someday you'll be a preacher. <laughs> and those words followed me everywhere I went. At age 16, some of the, many of the Amish young people kind of go out and, in, in, in the wild. And I, I was one of them. And we have different degrees of wildness. We have different gangs you go to. And I was at the highest one. And uh, my life was, was a mess but everywhere I went, no matter how drunk I got, no matter where I was, fly some dog watch to him, ready, huh? Maybe someday you'll be a preacher. And um, when I finally did get saved, when I was age 24, in Phoenix, Arizona, Sherlin and I moved out there after we got married. And um, she was getting tired of my partying. And so I would get drunk and come home and I'd get all sick and throw up all over the place. I'm sorry for all the gra graphic stuff. <laughs> But, and then she started locking me out of the house. Good for her. But we lived in Phoenix. She knew I wouldn't freeze to death. So I just lay out in the backyard till morning, sleep out there, and then I'd kick the door in. I wasn't a nice guy. Give her a hand. She needs a hand. Yeah. Stand up and stand up so everybody can see you. Yeah. We've been married 54 years. Imagine that. 54 years. Yep, I love her more than ever. 54 years married. Um, so then, and all that time, Pastor Bill, I was part of a church. I was the head usher. I was the head usher in this Mennonite church, and I'd be partying Saturday night and coming to church Sunday morning. They had no discernment whatsoever. And one day, this group of singers came to our church. They were called the Agape Players, and there was something different about them. 
I liked it, but I didn't like it, but I liked it, but I didn't like it, but I liked it. And I said, sure. and they were at other churches, so we followed them around Phoenix. They had altar calls, and I'd start to sweat. And uh, finally, Sherla said one night, I'm going up to rededicate my life. And I followed her up there and gave my life to Christ. That was in February 1972, 51 years ago. And my life has never been the same since. But then right away, fly some dog, watch Drew and Brady, huh? And I didn't know how to respond to that because Amish people are not allowed to go to high school. We're not allowed to go to college. No high school diploma. And who, what Bible school is going to accept me not having a high school diploma? And... Um, so we started a Bible study. Some of us got baptized in the Holy Spirit, started a Bible study, and it started to grow. And one night somebody came from Maryland to our Bible study in Southern Lancaster County and handed me a Word of Faith magazine. And in that Word of Faith magazine, it had a little article that says, a new Bible training center starting, no high school diploma needed. I said to Sherlyn, that's where we're going. We packed up our two little girls. And we went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was only nine months school. We didn't know what would happen. We didn't know if we would ever come back to Lancaster County. We didn't know where we'd end up at. But we just went by faith. <laughs> a little U-Haul and put all our stuff in there. And um, the eighth month of the nine-month school, somebody called us from back home. I had that secret desire to go back to Lancaster County and minister there. You got to watch those secret desires because the Lord will give them to you. And they said, there's a small group of people back here that like to start a church. Would you come back and be the pastor? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm called to be an evangelist. But I couldn't sleep for a couple of days. And I said to Cheryl, let's go. So after graduation, we went back and started a helped pioneer worship center. Uh, with about 25 people, and we just started preaching the word that, we've, that we learned at Ramah, because I didn't know much about the word before then, because in the Amish church, the preachers preach in German, but at home we speak Pennsylvania Dutch, so you're sitting there as a teenager, and you don't even understand the preacher. What's wrong with that picture? Right? Everybody here? Are you okay this morning? All right, just wondering. Everybody smile at me. And um, so we came back, started preaching the word. Pastor Bill, to our surprise, people started coming. We were the most surprised. We were the most surprised. <laughs> they started coming. But back then in the early 70s, mid-70s, early 70s, early, all the way into early 80s, there was like revival going on around in, in, in the States. And, and our area was one of those pockets. And people were just hungry for God. And people started coming to church. We didn't need any church growth conferences. We were just trying to keep up. And uh, we pastored there for 40 years. And um, uh, always felt like it was going to be 40 years, even before we came back from Bible school. I don't know why. But I thought Jesus would come back before then. And it wouldn't be an issue. But 35 years rolled around, and um, one day I said to Cheryl, and maybe, you know, if this could actually happen, let's make a plan. So we made a plan. We went through a four-year transition and handed the lead pastor role over to a young man by the name of Matt Milan. He was in our church since he was four years old, and he was our worship director for 10 years. 
and uh, just doing a great job. He's been pastoring now there for six years. It's still our home church. Uh, we started some churches throughout the years, so we oversee our network of churches. We are the regional director for Rama in the Northeast, as Pastor Bill said. And uh, we have an office at the worship center. It's our home church, like I said. We attend there every time we're not uh, out ministering somewhere. And um, so we're not retired. We are just in a new season of life. And for me, for me, I'm, no, no, and I'm not saying about anybody else, but for me, I don't know, you know, how, I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't be able to sit around and do nothing. You know, being raised Amish, you learned how to work. And that's just part of my DNA. I just, I just got to stay busy until Jesus comes. And um, so we preach at churches, conferences, pastors, gatherings, travel to other nations two or three times a year. Just got back from India a few uh, weeks ago. And pastor, uh, my sister and I uh, traveled there. We preached. We did, each did a 12 and a half hour course in a Bible school. <laughs> that was a stretch for me. Pastor Bill is a teacher, I think, aren't you? You're a teacher. So if somebody asks you to do a 12-hour course on a, on a subject, you probably say, that's great. What scares me, man? I'm like, are you kidding me? Is there, is there that much to say about any subject? 12 hours? <laughs> so, so I told my sister Sadie, I said, Sadie, you're the teacher. You got you to do your whole course, but you got to help me with mine. <laughs> and she did. And so that's what we do. Um, we have uh, four children, one in heaven, three in the earth. We have eight grandchildren, four great-grandchildren, and one on the way. And this, in this season of our life, we uh, get to spend a little more time with our family, which is great. Over the last couple years, uh, we have noticed that people have dealt with anxiety and fear more than usual. And we have thought, we have noticed that people have dealt with anxiety and fear that never dealt with it before. So the text from my message this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, this is the New Living Translation, but of power, love, and self-discipline. In the New King James, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Life has many fears that try to keep, uh, to stop our progress, try to stop us in, in our lives. There are all kinds of fears. There's fear of death, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of something bad happening, fear of disease, fear of, of accidents, now fear of shootings. It's not a matter of not having, being faced with fear. It's a matter of how to face and how to overcome the fears that knock on our door. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, the Apostle Paul, 4, 8 and 9, he says, We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Thank God for that. Then in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this, When we arrived in Macedonia, there, were, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside, and watch this, and fear on the inside. Even the Apostle Paul dealt with fears. 
battles on the outside and fear on the inside. It's the great Apostle Paul speaking. We live in a world of uncertainty. We all know that. But we can't just stay in our homes. We can't just stay in our houses. We can't just sit around and do nothing. We have to be active. We can't just sit around. We must face and deal with our fears every day. Every day, our experiences call for us to reach out and have faith in God. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. <laughs> How many of you are glad that your old self is crucified with Christ? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. That guy that was being locked out of his house, it's a brand new guy. That's not, that guy's not even alive anymore. That guy died with Christ. Hallelujah. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I was reading that not too long ago and I, and I thought, what did the Apostle Paul mean when he said, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God? What did he mean by that? Well, when you, when you think about faith, faith is a is a persuasion, or we could say a firm persuasion, or, or a firm conviction of the truthfulness of God, or a reliance upon Jesus. To live by faith, then, in the Son of God is to adhere to, rely on, and put our complete trust in Him. Surrender our lives to Jesus. That is what faith is. Or, faith is also believing what the Bible says, despite, in spite of what our circumstances and situations are in life. To believe what God's Word says. Amen? Amen. So, faith is a persuasion. Fear, on the other hand, is a distressing emotion. Faith is a persuasion. Fear is an emotion. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil or pain, whether the threat is real or imagined, has also has the meaning of flight, also means cowardly or timid. And so fear is an emotion, faith is a persuasion. Faith overcomes fear. Fear can be destructive if we don't uh, address it. For example... Do you remember when Adam and Eve uh, sinned before that? Before they sinned, God, the Bible says God would come down and walk with them in the garden. Wow. Have conversations with them. And then they sinned. They did the one thing that God told them not to do. Maybe we'll have a discussion with, with Adam when we get to heaven about that. <laughs> he kind of messed it up for all of us, didn't he? <laughs> and... Um, and then when they sinned, God came down as usual, and he couldn't find them. Of course, he knew where they were, but, you know, it says, uh, and, and then he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I hid, I hid because I was afraid. I was afraid. So fear makes us want to hide from God, wants to keep us from the presence of God. Fear will also keep us from winning in the battles of life. 
You ever hear of Gideon, the story of Gideon in, in Judges chapter 7? You know, he was the judge of Israel and he, he had 32,000 uh, people, men in his army. And he was surrounded by his enemies, the Midianites. And, and God said, you have too many people. Tell all the ones that have fear and that are timid to go home. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Gideon thought, well, maybe a dozen will go home, maybe three or four or a dozen, you know. And if you read that, 22,000 people went home <laughs> because they were fearful and timid. So fear can keep us from winning in the battles of life. Also, fear will rob you of your potential, of using your talents and abilities, keep you from stepping out. Remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? There was this, this, this businessman and he had servants and so he was going on a journey and so he wanted to make sure that his money is taken care of. So he called his servants in and he said, gave the one uh, five and the one two and the one one uh, amounts of money to take care of. So he goes away for a long time and if, after a while he comes back and he goes to the one that he gave five and he says, what'd you do with my money? He said, I invested it. And I've doubled it. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he looked at the one with the two. He said, what would you do with my money? He said, I invested it and I doubled it. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he looked at the one that he gave one. And he said, what did you do with my money? He said, I knew you were a harsh man. So I went and dug a hole and hid it because I was afraid. So fear will keep us from stepping out. I'll never forget what Miles Monroe said. Miles Monroe was, a, was an author and a preacher and a teacher from the Bahamas. He's with the Lord now. But he preached at worship center one time. And he said the, the richest place in the world is not a diamond mine. It's not a gold mine. It's a cemetery. And I thought, a cemetery? He said there is many unwritten songs, many unwritten uh, books, Many uninvented inventions that people went to the grave with all of these things because they were afraid to step out and do what God has called us to do. So fear can be destructive. And that's why it's important for us to overcome fear in our lives. It's not a matter uh, if we're going to have fear or not. All of us are going to be faced with fears. But it's a matter of how to overcome fear in our lives. Faith, then, being a firm persuasion, is designed to overcome fear, which is an emotion. Emotions are up and down, but faith is steady. So by putting faith in God, we can courageously face our fears and overcome them. Now, someone said to me one time, Okay, Pastor Sam, if faith is a persuasion, how do I get that kind of faith? I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised religion. My parents weren't religious. How do I get that kind of faith? They were saying to me, and I remember what D.O. Moody said one time. He said, I prayed for faith and thought, and thought someday it would come down and strike me like lightning, but faith didn't come. <laughs> then one day I read in the Bible that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And D.O. Moody says, I opened my Bible and I began to read and study and faith has been growing ever since. So I told that person, I said, that's what you need to do. Open your Bible. And begin reading your Bible, and faith will come into your heart, and your mind will be renewed to that. So reading and taking into our heart this, the Scriptures produces faith in our lives.
And we all have to do it. I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. It's not enough to come to church. It's a wonderful thing to come to church and hear Pastor Bill preach a sermon. That faith comes to you, but that's not enough to really build your life on a strong, unshakable foundation. You have to take the scriptures for yourself, take them off the, off the pages of the Bible, read it, study it, meditate on it, and then it becomes faith in your own life. Let me tell you a personal story. In 1974, Sherlin and I had a 16-month-old boy, 16-month-old son, who got out on the road and walked out in front of a vehicle and was struck by the vehicle and died from the impact. He was 16 months old. His name is Christopher. Worst day of our lives ever. Yeah. Then in 1978, the Lord blessed us with a second son. And when he reached that same age, I was attacked with fear that the same thing would happen to him. I couldn't go to work. Paralyzed me for several days. I just kept, I just had to, had to keep my eye on him. Because this voice kept coming to me. Something's going to happen to him. Something's going to happen to him. The same thing that happened to Christopher is going to happen to Jamie. Something's going to happen to him. It paralyzed me. Couldn't go to work. By that time, I was a Christian for about seven years. I was a young pastor. I was hungry to know the Bible. And I remembered what we learned at Bible school that you take you find scriptures that pertain to your situation or your circumstance and you speak those scriptures you believe those scriptures and speak them over your situation so I'm paralyzed by this fear that the same thing would happen to Jamie that happened to Christopher and I went on a search for some for a couple scriptures you don't have to have many and the first thing I found, first one I found, or I went to, was Isaiah 54, 17. It says, but in that coming day, what coming day? I don't know if I'm taking this out of context by saying what I'm going to say. I don't know. In that coming day, I think in that coming day when you have a problem. In that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. Well, there was a voice <laughs> accusing me in my mind. Something's going to happen to him. Something's going to happen to him. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. So I read that and I read that and I read that. And I saw that you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. And I started to say... No weapon formed against me will prosper. I began to say it. I believed it and I said it. And the more I said it, the more I believed it. And the more I believed it, the more I said it. And that voice, something's going to happen to him. No weapon formed against me will prosper. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Something's going to happen to him. After a while, it got stronger. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And then that voice got 
lower and lower. Something's going to happen to him. No weapon formed against me will prosper. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Those two scriptures help me overcome that fear. The Word of God and faith in the Word of God will overcome fear. But you have to do the work. <laughs> you have to take the Word. You have, to, you have to work it in your life. That's what it means to work out your salvation. Salvation, we don't get saved by works. We have to work it out. Every day we live in, re in real time. We live in reality. Right? You know, um, so our little boy... If he'd be alive today on the earth, I mean, he is alive, he's in heaven, he would be 50. 50! I can't wait to see him. You know, I, I, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to see this handsome young guy come walking down there that looks just like his dad. <laughs> you know, um, 20 years after that happened, a young man came up to me in church, he said, did you lose a, a child? Uh, I said, yeah. He said, I think it's my dad that hit him. That night, at the, when we came back from the hospital that night, we came back to the house. Uh, the man that hit him was still sitting there in his pickup truck, crying like a baby. And we went to him and we said, you know, we don't hold this against you. And it was, a, it was a, a, an October evening and it was already dark when he got out on the road. And, um, but we didn't stay in touch. Sherlin wanted to stay in touch, but I didn't. I don't know why, I just didn't. And so this young man said, I think it's my dad. I said, really? I said, how is your dad? He said, well, he's an alcoholic. I said, you don't think it's because of that, do you? He said, I don't know. And then I, and then that young man got, in other words, that young man was the same age. In other words, the man that hit our boy had, had a boy at home the same age. Are you following me? So, this young man got married, had a little boy, and it was baby dedication. Now, Pastor Bill, I'm dedicating the baby, and I'm looking back here, and I see this man sitting there beside the family, and I thought, that's him. That's the grandfather to this baby, the guy that did our boy. So, I thought, well, I want to go meet him and talk to him. But he was gone by the time I got to him after service. Second boy was born. The same thing happened. He was gone. And then, uh, uh, soon after that, uh, one Sunday in the lobby, uh, a lady, um, somebody's pulling on my coat. And I look her over, and there's, there's a lady there crying. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I, I, I'd like to introduce myself to you, but I'm scared. I said, why are you scared? She said, because I'm the wife of the man who hit your boy. And I've been coming here to church with my daughter and her triplets. I said, well, ma'am, you don't have to be afraid. And uh, make a long story short, we, I said to the young man, I said, would your dad come to our house for dinner? He said, no, Pastor Sam, no, he will not come. He's a recluse, he's an alcoholic, he will not come to your place for dinner. I said, well, we're going to invite him. So we uh, invited him to our house for a dinner on 6 o'clock on a Sunday night, and it's at 6 o'clock is rolling around, and they, I see the car coming, and he's with him. Comes into our house. sat at our table. He wasn't saying anything, just looking down while we're eating. 
His wife was doing all the talking. <laughs> Never did I want to tell a lady to be quiet <laughs> as much as I did that night. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> and um, so afterwards, we went in the living room and, and uh, finally, and he, he was just not talking. And finally, we just said to him, do you, uh, Ernest, do you, understand why we invited you. We just wanted to say one more time that we never held that against you. And I said, has that haunted you through the years? And he said, yes, it has. So we're able to pray with him. And then he comes to church. He starts coming to church every Sunday. And he gets a heart attack. And one of our pastors on staff goes in and leads him to the Lord. You know, sometimes you, you just have no idea if any good can come out of anything so bad. Now, I do not have the, 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 the belief that God, you know, ordained that accident so that that guy could get saved. No, no, no. The, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But since it happened, one of the results was the man got saved <laughs> and started coming to church. Why did I say all that? Anyway, that's how you overcome fear, by taking scriptures, speaking them, and believing them over your situation. You know, when the, when the pandemic came, Sherlin and I right away, and probably many of you, went to Psalm 91. And we just began to speak that and believe that and speak it over our lives and over our family and over our church. That's what you have to do. So we can choose to live in fear or we can face our fears by applying God's word to our fears. As long as we're growing and moving, fear will try to rule us. Anytime we risk, stretch, or put ourselves out there or step toward a new vision, we will experience or have the opportunity to fear. As we take steps of faith, taking a single step forward robs fear of its power. When I was a little kid, I was the shyest guy around. I always had a fear of getting up and speaking in front of people. I still deal with that today. On my way here this morning, I had to say, Lord, you've made me an able minister of the new covenant. You're the one that has qualified me to speak today. Some of you might think it's easy. For a pastor to come up here time? No, it never was for me. Still today. Our qualification comes from God. You know, in Bible school, our, our, uh, the founder of the Bible school one day was talking about that. And he was preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Where it says our qualification comes from God. God has made us able ministers. And I'll never forget when, he's, when he spoke that day, it's, it began to set me free. And now today, every time I get up and preach, fear is robbed of its power. And it's the same with you. Maybe God has spoken to you about stepping out into something that you've never stepped out into. And you have it in your heart. You've had it in your heart for years. And maybe it's the time to step out. Well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if? There's always what ifs. We'll never overcome fear unless we step out. 
And I just decided, if I have to, I'll do it afraid. Yeah. Several years ago, we had Nick Walenda at Worship Center. I don't know if you know that name. He's the guy that walked across Niagara Falls in, in that rope, you know, on that, on that wire. Anybody see, see him do that? Well, you know, he's a Christian. He's a deeply committed Christian. And so we had him give his testimony at our church a couple years ago. And so, I mean, I was, it was amazing. And so after church, we were at lunch. I said, Nick, why do you do that? He said, Pastor Sam, it's my calling. I said, your calling? I said, how can that be your calling? He said, Pastor Sam, every, Pastor Sam, every time I step out on that wire, I'm encouraging someone else to do that they never thought they could do. And I said, well, are you afraid? He said, well, of course I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said, you mean you deal with fear? He said, of course I deal with fear. But you do it anyhow. He said, I go out there, and I don't know if you've ever heard him. He says, I walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I walk by faith and not by sight. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not called to do that, Pastor Bill. But <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but it was an inspiration. When he spoke that Sunday, I am sure that many people got up after that service and said, I'm going to do what's in my heart to do. We're all called differently. <laughs> the things Jesus did in his life and ministry teach us about faith and how to overcome fear. Let me finish by going to this story in Mark chapter 5. Uh, in Mark chapter 5 in verse 21, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a larger crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived when he saw Jesus. He fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him. You know, that's what I like about Jesus. He went with him. <laughs> he didn't say, I can't come. He, just said, I went, he went with him. You know, that should be our attitude in life. When we, when we come across people that need ministry, I will. I will, I will take time to minister to this person. And then he was detained, you know, and he ministered to the woman with the issue of blood. You probably know that story. And so he was, you know, like held, you know, distracted and detained by that. And then it says in verse uh, 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard. I like that. He overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid. Jesus knew that fear could rob Jairus of a miracle. <laughs> So what do we do when bad news comes? It comes to all of us. It really does. What to do when bad news arrives? We had, you know, when our little boy died, that was the worst news ever. Ever. 
couple days after it happened, we were just like, why me? Why us? Why this? Why? Why? Why us? Why our boy? And Sherilyn said, I think we should just worship God. We were just newly baptized in the Holy Spirit. We went to our Bible study. We just worshiped God, and it lifted us. I'm not saying we didn't have bad days, but it lifted us. And worship will lift you. Sometimes you don't feel like praying. You don't know what to pray. Just worship God. It'll drive fear away. Faith opens the way for God to do great things through us. Faith is a firm persuasion, putting our trust in God. Fear is an emotion that can be destructive, but is subject to faith. Faith is for everyday living by applying scriptures to our fears and circumstances. Fear will produce anxiety, panic, worry. Faith will produce peace and confidence in our lives. Peace is what we all want and desire. Did you know peace is a gift? Did you know you didn't have to work for peace? You know it's a gift? In John 14, 27, Jesus said this. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Everybody say gift. Yeah. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. That's the gift. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's a gift. As believers... In Jesus, we can have peace in the middle of the, of the biggest storm of our lives. When we began to worship during that time, when Sherilyn said, I think we should just worship, we began to worship. She had, we actually went to our Bible study in between the time he died and, and the funeral. And, and she was leading worship. Peace came into our hearts. Peace is what we all want and desire. And we can receive it in the middle of the storms of life. We can remain calm and have faith in the storms of life. Right in the middle of the storms of life. There was um, an artist's convention. And in, uh, many artists came into this convention. And in the middle of this convention, they had a contest. And they were, the artists were supposed to... Um, Paint a picture that depicted peace. So they all painted, you know, pictures of meadows and streams and flowers and, and you know, white picket fences and all this stuff. Just sunsets and sunrises, except the guy that won. And the guy that won painted a picture of a raging sea. A storm, a thunderstorm with lightning. He had it on his picture. A raging sea and the, and the waves were crashing up against the, 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 the rocks. And in the middle of the rock there was a little opening. And that little opening was a little bird. And, that, and, and there was, that little bird had a little nest with little ones in it. And right there that little bird was standing beside the nest singing. In the middle of the storm. And I thought when I read that story, that's us, that's us, that's us, that's us. We can sing in the middle of the storm. And sometimes you feel that way living today. Storms and stuff happening in the world. But we can have peace. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I pray that something that was said today would have ministered to every person in this room.
Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.